Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Christina Bellotti, Kathy Wilcox, and Steve Dorr are each musicians, songwriters, and artists who have all spent some time living in Washington, D.C. Known for their respective work in other bands like Slant Six, Bikini Kill, and Deep Lust, among others, the trio came together to form their own outfit some 20 years ago. The band is The Casual Dots, and they've released two stellar albums to date, a self-titled debut recorded in 2003, and 2022's Sanguine Truth, each of which were primarily captured by producer Guy Picciotto and engineer Don Ziantara, and released on Bellotti's own label, Ixer Sticks. The Casual Dots and I connected for a rare group conversation recently, where we discussed uh, living in places like uh, Canada, Baltimore, 
Brooklyn, and London, among other places, how they each got into music as fans and players. The English rock group The Beatles, how the casual dots first met and what prompted them to begin playing music together. The political and personal nature of their songs, how the narrative use of pronouns like I and you in song can be both specific to certain people or can be stand-ins for the behavior of larger groups or entities, which is what I was trying to convey in framing a convoluted question about such things. Spoiler alert and sorry. Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, James Brown and the Famous Flames, and Bobby Moore and the Foremost. Updates about some of the other bands they're each in, such as Wild, Bikini Kill, and Snoozers, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, which is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this show. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will happily help you place uh, orders for things you want. Say you want the two Casual Dots records. It's easy. Just go to blackbird.ca, type in the Casual Dots, see what they got. If they don't got what you need, give them a call. I'm sure they'll order it in for you. Or you can fill in a form and order it right there. Blackbird.ca for all your hard-to-find music titles in Alberta and beyond. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 745 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and thoughtful Christina Bellotti, Kathy Wilcox, and Steve Dore of The Casual Dots, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Christina. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, where in the world are you today? I'm in Baltimore, Maryland right now. Oh, nice. Uh, how You live in Baltimore, I gather. Uh-huh. How long have you been there? I've been here about 10 years, I think. Ah, and why Baltimore exactly? I know mostly, most of us know uh, Baltimore, I would say, in the world, uh, because of, A, the Orioles, and I guess you got a football team. Uh, yeah. And then also the, the TV show, The Wire. You ever seen that? The Wire. I've seen parts of it. I haven't watched it yet. All I the see. way. What, from what you've seen, is Baltimore anything like what's what we hear about in The Wire? There's parts. There's parts yeah. of Baltimore. I mean, I don't know. I came here 10 years ago to go to grad school and... My daughter is getting a good education here, so she likes it. Nice. So, and, and ten years ago, where were you before that? Los Angeles. Oh, California! Wow. So you got the—that's a climate difference for sure. I'm gathering. Yeah, but I'm from the East Coast, so I was kind of, kind of wanted to get back to some more serious weather. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 some weather with some gravitas. They, they, they didn't <laughs> fuck around the weather in Baltimore, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I heard tell recently that you actually spent some time in Canada. Speaking of weather, is that true? Yes, I lived in Canada from three to six. Um, this is parents doing some work or something? No, just my parents doing some. Oh, I mean, my dad built a house. He built a dome house. Um, it's just my parents getting away from the U.S. for a while. Ah, okay. Do you ever feel yeah. like doing that these days? Well, sometimes I feel like going up to Canada, but just checking it out, but not really. No. 
No, not really. That's fine. You got to stay. I, I, I appreciate uh, the lyrics on your uh, Casual Dots records because you seem like you're uh, interested in affecting positive change and speaking out. So, and I hope we'll get into that. I, I hope that is that a fair generalization? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> we'll get into it more as uh, as we go. Uh, I'll move on to uh, other people on this call. Uh, Kathy, are you there? Yep, yeah, I'm here. Nice to see you, Kathy. Where in the world are you? Nice to see you too. I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Nice. How are things going in Brooklyn for you today? Pretty good. It's it's weirdly warm. It's like 64 degrees for some reason. So yeah, it's nice. Now in Canada. Because we practice Celsius, sixty-four degrees would be uh, intolerably hot. I have no idea. Hot. Yeah, that's that. Like the high you end cooked, right? Yeah, we absolutely. We say when it's like thirty degrees in the summer, we're like, oh my god, this is intolerable. Yeah. Uh, so, but you you just uh, undertook, uh, withstood uh, some sort of ice storm winter situation in the on the east coast of the states. Is that right? Yeah, I feel like we kind of escaped it in New York because we're just far enough east that we kind of missed it but it did get down to like eight degrees which i guess i don't know what that is in celsius like <laughs> negative something right right but yeah we didn't get any snow we didn't you know everything froze but we didn't get like the ice storm that they got but you didn't have to go very far east i mean west or north to get you know they got buffalo got i don't know how many feet of snow so. yeah i saw that that's what i was yeah. wondering about yeah it was oh. crazy well you've got some uh I, I, I've talked to people in Brooklyn during some of these extreme weather events, and Brooklyn seems volatile weather-wise all of a sudden. Uh, is that a fair assessment? It is. It is, and that's that's not something that it was like not advertised as such when we moved here. But like the 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 month that we moved here, there were two tornadoes that came through our neighborhood. So wow. it was like October or something of 2010, and. So that was shocking. And there's actually been a few tornadoes come through and hurricanes. I don't know, even like three or four hurricanes have hit here. So, yeah, I wasn't really expecting that. It's like f- the Florida of the Northeast. Or yeah, something. I don't, I don't, I don't think of New, I don't think of New York. It's that really way. weird. It is odd, and uh, I ho- I wish you the best uh, there because I know there's been flooding and uh, leaking. Like, uh, yeah, like, ugh, yeah, rain, yeah. Uh, I feel like yeah, New York's not really built for this kind of weird weather. Now, what brought you to New York? Where are you from originally again? Well, originally, originally, as uh, growing up as a kid until high school, at the end of high school, I was in Vancouver, Washington, which is not Vancouver, Canada. Oh, right. So it's like both both Vancouver and Washington had, need explanation because if you say Washington, <laughs> people think Washington D.C. If you say Vancouver, pe- people think you're Canadian. So yes, yeah. Vancouver, Washington, nobody's ever heard of. So that's it. Just is, but it's right by Portland, Oregon. Okay, so that, that's where I went to high school. Right. And then you ended and up then, in DC. And then, you- and then, yeah, I ended up in DC. So after college, at sort of at the end of college, Bikini Kill started. And then basically, like two days after I graduated, we just got in the van and went on tour and drove straight across the country hmm. um, on tour. And we basically just moved to DC. Like we never came back. Oh. I mean, we did eventually, but it was like I lived there for I don't know how many years, a couple of years. Right. Years. Okay. So you. And then I ended up moving back for like 10 years. Moving so it's back kind of all over the place. Moving to back DC. to DC to DC, right? Okay. Yeah, because we we kind of like ping pong back and forth. Some of us moved back to Olympia, and then it's a little. There was a time where it was a little confusing where people <laughs> lived. <laughs> well, even as we're speaking here, we have someone in Baltimore, Maryland. You're in Brooklyn, not very close together, if I know my American geography. And then uh, joining us on the call as well, Steve. Are you there? I am here. Yeah, I'm in London right now. So. What is with this? 
Yeah. What, what is with this band? You're called the Casual Ducks, but if I were to look at a map, it would not be casual at all. It would be very confusing. No, How do you... You know, the name's ironic. <laughs> it's not casual organizing all three of us to kind of play. You know, We did all live in the same city for a while, but I've been in London yeah, for a long time, nearly I two see. decades. So, so to, uh, the same city, I'm just going to guess it was D.C.? Yeah, DC. We all kind of formed. We were all kind of living in DC when we first started out, and then we spent some time in LA on a couple months, and then that's kind of it. We've been, or like as far as living in the same town, you know. And then when we get together every once in a while, but yeah, it's kind of yeah, we're spread out to say the least. Well, I mean, at least uh, between what Christina and uh, Kathy are talking about, mostly, well, let's say they're on the same continent. At least, what what prompted you? <laughs> what, what, yeah. What, yeah. what what prompted you to move to uh, London? Oh, uh, my wife's English and, you know, we we're going back and forth to traveling. I was living in D.C. and kind of going back and forth. And so I just thought, you know, one of us has to move and it turned out to be me. So I and I, I really didn't expect to kind of move here. But now that I've been here, it kind of seems unimaginable to kind of move back, to be honest. I've been here long enough that it's like, wow, OK, yeah. I like it. So, yeah, I mean, sociopolitically, are you okay? Did you, you ever ponder? I was asking Christina if she ever pondered uh, leaving the States, and I was kind of getting at just the political climate. Uh, hasn't been an easy road in England, I'm <laughs> gathering. No, well, what, England and America. I don't know. It's tough to say. The Brexit uh, kind of, it feels like Brexit has really hit recently I don't, because it just, it just feels like the, I have some family that live in, near Dover and all the kind of the, you know, the trucks are backed up. It just feels like a very much an Island and politics is kind of crumbling in on itself right now. But yeah. then I think of America, I don't know, it's tough to really kind of uh, sum up politically what's been happening in the past. Well, if any of, years. if any of this line of questioning uh, is confusing to anyone on this call, I should say that I'm trying to get in good with tourism Canada. Uh, <laughs> I want you all to move here. Uh, that is the subtext. <laughs> For uh, highlighting how terrible everything is. No, I'm kidding. But uh, no, I'm, I'm just teasing. Well, let's get into the origin story of this wonderful band that I will be frank with you. I didn't know a whole bunch about uh, right. until relatively recently. I got a text from my friend uh, Guy. Kathy, you know Guy, is that right? Yes, I do. <laughs> You're familiar with Guy. He's your yes. husband. He's your husband, right? Yes, he is. Yeah. So Guy uh, is very nice to me and generous and. He tells me about this band, The Casual Dots. I'm like, that sounds familiar. And then he says, uh, can I put some records in the mail for you? And I say, sure. So then I get the records and I love them. I just love them. I, I felt so happy to get these things in the mail, not just because they're from Guy. I, I spent some time with them. It was just fun sitting on the couch, reading the lyric sheet and listening. to. I miss I, my life is frantic and busy. And when I get to do these things, I relish them. And so it was very exciting for me. Uh, Christina, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of the Casual Dots? I've done a little bit of digging here about geography, but how did this band come together by your uh, reckoning? Well, I grew up in in the D.C. area after six. And I remember Kathy, when I first met Kathy, Bikini Kill came and stayed in my house. And it was a group house, the embassy of the nation of Ulysses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually. So I knew her from then. And Steve later on moved to D.C. Actually, I met Steve at a wedding through mutual friends out in uh, California, in San Francisco. Ah. And for some reason, I always thought, like, Steve would be a cool drummer to play with. And I always thought that in the back of my mind. 
And then one day, like years later, Kathy and Steve were like, hey, we should jam. So we got together in my weird practice space that was kind of under the porch in Washington, D.C. And we just started making noise. And we did that several times. We never talked. We just jammed and we sort of made noise. And at first I was like, I mean, it sounds okay, but I don't know what's going on. And then one day we started working on a cover and then it just gelled. And What, what was the cover? Bumblebee. Oh, right. That was just on your first record. And after that, it was like we could just play together without even talking and come up with songs. And it's kind of amazing. I appreciate you being on a, a podcast given um, your hesitation to speak. It seems like you have a slight aversion to talking based on what Me? you're describing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of making a joke. I like the fact that you were like, we never even spoke. We just started playing music. Never had to say well, a word. Yeah. So some sort of telepathy, some sort of telepathy is what you're getting at. It seems like it. I mean, yeah. that that's something that's actually like I really like about this band is that all the other bands you get in and someone takes charge and they're like, we're going to do this and that. And you're sort of or you're the one who's like, come on, let's do this. But this band, it just sort of formed. It was just, yeah, it was nonverbal. That's, that's <laughs> lovely. Yeah. We didn't speak it's words an... to each other. Just no, we don't. You know, it's... <laughs> we had conversations, but it wasn't like we we had to like talk out the songs or talk about what we were going to do or whatever. We just all just started playing. Yeah, I don't even I don't even think we brought in parts or anything like that. No, never. I don't think we've ever, we've never brought in parts, have we? No. No. <laughs> also, when That's... we've tried, it hasn't worked. You know what I mean? So you just have to accept the logic of the situation that's inherent. So it was just like, yeah, okay. This is the most we probably talked about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there was never any preconceived idea about what we were going to do. Yeah. As far as I know, <laughs> it, it's very interesting. It's interesting that you say this because as I listen to a song off the latest record, uh, the song "Gypsum Mortar" comes to mind. Because as someone who has played with people and kind of knows how songs come about, there's a looseness to that arrangement that I think is a testament to what you're talking about. It sounds like people just going for it and be like, "Yep, that's the idea. That's good." Because <laughs> if you actually think of that arrangement, it's a little hard to pin down what the structure might be. On the one hand, because I, I think it's marvelous. I love the guitar interplay in this band, but um, I'm just going to keep talking because I'm worried I've insulted you by saying you don't work hard on your songs. Uh, no, but do, you, do, you, do you know where I'm coming from? There's like an impulsive... Kathy, does that resonate with you, the kind of impulsive aspect of what Christina is describing? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's how we wrote the songs. But to be fair, I mean, we played that song not the same, but I mean, it is written. It's not. It wasn't like a oh, one-time... Yeah jam thing so it's like you know there's however many 14 takes of it and they kind of all sound the same so it's like we definitely wrote it to go like that i mean but yeah i mean when we wrote it it was definitely like a a jam session that that's how it ended up and we would be like oh i like how that you came in on that you know this weird upbeat or something let's keep that yeah a lot of the songs actually though i didn't even have parts for when we went into the studio and we would just record it I didn't have set parts. We'd right. been jamming on it, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Hmm. Gypsum Mortar, we did, though. <laughs> so I've picked the absolute worst example of uh, to try to prove my <laughs> thesis. I'm sorry. No, it, it, but that, that comes across. Like, I like the fact that I can hear the creation in the songs a bit. Like, that's what I'm getting at. And it right. sounds like that's something that, that you uh, rely on, that, that getting in the room and figuring things out together. Um, I just want to hit upon a couple of things you said, Christina. Um, 
what bands did you see Steve playing in when you thought, oh, that that's someone I would like to play with at some point? And within that, what bands were you in uh, or, or have been in at the time uh, when you were kind of contemplating what your next moves might be? Sorry, sort of two questions. Do you remember where you saw Steve playing, first of all? I can't remember. I tried. I was thinking about this actually the other day, but was Deep Lest was after or before? That was or after during? the wedding. That was, yeah, that was kind of uh, when I moved to, the, I was still living, I met you when I was still living on the West Coast. So you probably saw Deep Lust first. Yeah. I can't, yeah, I was, I was actually thinking about that and I was like, wh- why did I think he would be so good to be in a band with? But I, I must have known. I mean, I must have seen you play. We we used to have project things where, right. like, party shows where people would play a few songs. Might have been one of those. I had some of those at my house on Irving Street. I oh, see. yeah. We did one with, uh, we. I think that's when we first played together, Christina. That's what I'm remembering with Angie. And we did some covers for a famous mm-hmm. monster thing. Yeah. What, yeah was there, was there a wedding band at this wedding? Steve, did you play in the wedding band? You know what? It's funny that the wedding that we're talking about, there was a surf band that was playing, but, you know, and they they were great, actually. It was incredible. But uh, no, I wasn't in the band. I was just goofing at the wedding, you know, with, yeah, with actually Kathy and Christina in Guy. So, yeah, I remember that. Okay, it was, nice. It was nice because it was also on the top of the Maritime start at the Maritime uh, Museum in San Francisco. Sorry, you don't really need to know that detail, but it was a while ago. <laughs> no, no, it's and you can see you can see Alcatraz. You can see Alcatraz, and it was pretty great. You know, it is was that exciting. A, the tone you want for a wedding, right? Is like... that is that a good omen for a wedding? You can see the, the very famous laugh. So I don't know. <laughs> Man, okay, well that's that's interesting. Yeah. And so following up, Christina, just for people listening. What bands have you been in uh, prior to the Casual Dots? Well, I started off with a band called Hazmat, and then that turned into Autoclave and added a couple members, and then Slant Six and Quixotic. Okay, so uh, pretty, and then those some of those bands at least have a Discord connection, pretty steeped in the DC scene. I'm gathering. Yeah. And do you do you have a, a any memory of what prompted you to get into music making yourself, songwriting, uh, playing guitar? My dad gave me a guitar when I was eight. Uh, I didn't really learn it really well back then. And then you know, of course, I had two records. I had a Beatles record, and I had a Crazy Horse Neil Young record that I never listened to. But I listened to the Beatles. I mean, it, it seems like this is everyone's story now. Like. Seems kind of cliche, but yeah, I listened to the Beatles like constantly and thought about being in a band from being like eight. But then when I was 14, I babysat my parents' friends' children, and he was French and he got deported. And when he left, he gave me this fretless bass that I started on, and I still have it. And that sort of set me on. Then I started going to shows in, you know, around DC. And I do remember seeing Rites of Spring for the first time at uh, Food for Thought and being like, okay, I'm going to do this. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it's a cliche, but I've told this story a few times, uh, maybe a few hundred times by now. But yeah, the Beatles, my cousin got me into, the reason I'm into music is because my cousin got me, played me a Beatles compilation, Rock and Roll Music Volume (laughs) 1. So for some reason, this band, the Beatles, very popular. 
Uh, very influential on a lot of musicians somehow. They must be half decent. Uh, so that's where I'm coming from too. No, that's interesting. And, and, and very, very interesting, very accessible for kids. Yes, that's kids. part of it though. Although when you hear uh, the early Beatles and John screaming, I realized like Twist and Shout even or, or whatever, I realized there was an edge to it that I was drawn to as well. Because that compilation I'm describing would have been the earlier stuff. It wasn't like the mm. psychedelic period. So I think I was drawn to the ed- edginess of it as well. Apparently my mom played Rubber Soul for me before I was born. She said she would sit in front of the stereo and listen to it. So, <laughs> Well, this, this might explain yeah. your uh, penchant for great hooks, if I may, uh, <laughs> overflatter you in front of your colleagues. Uh, Kathy, uh, I've gotten a little bit of a sense of the dynamic between um, uh, Christina and, and Steve. Uh, h- how did you enter the fold? You, I think it's safe to say, are a very busy musician yourself. Uh, how did you enter the fold here in the Casual Dots? Well, my memory is that I was at a party with Christina, and we ended up talking, and I think that I just said, you know, we should play guitar together. I hadn't been in a band that played guitar where I played guitar since the frumpies which was like 1993 or four or something yeah so i was sort of like i think bikini kill maybe had just broken up it was like 97 or something and i had just moved to dc and so i was at this party and it occurred to me that i wanted to start a band where i played guitar and i was thinking that i love the way that christina plays guitar so i was thinking it might be cool to be in a band with another guitar player and no bass yeah so i think i approached her and was like yeah we should play we should just play together and see what happens but you know, I don't remember if it was, do you remember it was like the Lady Fest was happening right then? And so we might have actually started playing in order to play that Lady Fest. It was sort of like we had a goal, which is like, oh, we need to write enough songs to play this Lady Fest show in 2001 or two. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, 2002. Yeah. yeah. 2002, yeah. I think. But we circle. did play, we played for a while without having any objective but then I think when we were like, oh, we got to play this show, let's do this cover song. So yeah, I think they asked together. us if we had anything that we were doing musically. And we we're like, well, we have this thing that we just started doing, but we don't really have any songs. And then so, yeah, I think it focused us to like write some songs or something. Was that bump? Was that cover song Bumblebee? Yeah. 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 And sorry, you was that all you had ready? Did you just have to play the one song? <laughs> <laughs> no, we wrote we wrote we, some we songs. We played like we played like. <laughs> We only played like a few songs, though, didn't we? Yeah, we played some songs. I have we no memory. Never, I remember because I it was outdoors. It was in Dupont Circle. It was in Dupont Circle, yeah. and we played some songs that we've never played again. You know what I mean? Is that right? Yeah, we did because really? we played this instrumental. I remember that I wrote on guitar, and it was really short and quick. And it's like because I've been playing guitar recently, and it's one string, and it's you know very simple. But we did that. <laughs> and then wait, we did. did you play guitar on that? No, no, you guys played it. That was the funny thing. Like I wrote it and then I was just like I think I remember showing it to you Christine or you know it was just like a very quick one-off thing and uh but that was one of the songs but we never played it again but we had I think about four or five songs or something that we played in this you know for our first oh. show it was and it was great because it was just like in the middle of DuPont Circle in DC which was you know in the middle of the day yeah, yeah in the like, middle of the day in the people middle having of lunch the pub. yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is that is that unusual, Steve, for you to bring a guitar part to this band? Yeah, because I'm not a guitarist. You know, I mean, I play guitar and I've been playing badly for a long, long time. But like I just yeah. but I, only recently I've, I've been playing guitar and I'm like, huh, I just remember playing this riff. I'm like, wow, we played that like 20 years ago or whatever. 
You and I are are similar because I've been trying to play guitar since I was 16, but then gravitated towards drums because everyone in my social circle was trying to be this superstar guitar player right. and there was no one to play play no one would play the drums i'm like i i can try it and i took to it yeah but yeah i've been playing more guitar uh certainly since the pandemic and yeah i i don't mean to and i probably got it wrong i was listening to your record yesterday and i had my guitar on and i think i figured out uh velvet fields the main riff just hey. by myself. Hey, that's and pretty I was good. Like, oh, I'm progressing. I'm progr- I figured out a casual dot song just by accident. Hey, and hey, uh, so nice. that's you play enough and you get you get there, I suppose. Yeah. Uh Kathy, just to go back to you before I go to Steve and his little origin story there. Uh you mentioned wanting to play guitar. You are known, I guess, predominantly as a bass player. Is that the distinction you were making? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the first band I was in was Bikini Kill and I played bass mostly. I mean, you know, we switch around and I play guitar in some songs, but mostly Mostly I play bass. Are you, Bikini Kill is the first band you have ever been in? <laughs> yeah. Crazy, That's right? remarkable. That <laughs> well, actually, bit- I was in, I don't even know if you call it a band, but um, so I lived in Portland for one summer and I lived in this house that the Calamity Jane girls lived in. And so yeah. I was in a project band with Gilly and I think Megan was in it too. I can't remember. I think we had two basses. <laughs> That's how weird it was. I think we both played bass. And that was the first like live performance that I had ever done. But I think that we just maybe practiced the day of the show and wrote like one song and got up on stage and there was nobody there. So I don't, I'm not sure I would really consider that a band. But yeah, well, that was the first time I ever played music like in a rock format in front of people. I used to do piano recitals, but yeah. I see. Do you think it's weird that of the at least two bands we've discussed, well, sorry, we've talked about three in your context, but... Two of the bands you've been in featured uh, two people on the same instrument. That's a little unusual. Two bassists. <laughs> I guess that's true. I hadn't thought of that. And now two guitarists. So something you like tandem something. I'm going to psychoanalyze you now. You feel like you need. <laughs> Maybe to I don't want to like step up as like my own. Like I am the only bass player. Like no, I need another one there. <laughs> and and so I, I appreciate that. No, that's that's fascinating, and it, it speaks to your well, talent, I suppose. Something on that the. One of the reasons I was really into the idea of having two guitars is because I was really into that band, The Gories, at the time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I was like, exactly what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, a, that's a cool thing about... Uh, see, did you get to see The Gories at all? I saw them way more recently. It was incredible. Okay. So not, at, not at the time so that you, you, you were listening to them on record and then thought... This is an interesting dynamic. I'd like to explore this myself. Yeah. I, see. I find sometimes I they were playing out back then. Right. I sometimes find that when you see a band do something like that, it, it really resonates with you. About like I'm, gonna, I'm going to go home and figure that out and call my friend and see if we can do something. But yeah, that's fascinating in itself. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Steve. Let's get to your origin story as a musician um, here. And I, like I say, I've now gotten a sense of how this has, band has come together. How did you get into playing music uh, and, and being into music? I suppose even as a as a little kid. What's your Beatles tape that got you going? Oh, you know, it wasn't Beatles. You know, my parents had Roy Orbison and Everly Brothers. You know, just listening to records at my folks. But then I got. I have an older brother, and he used to get Rolling Stone magazine. And he had, and actually it is a Beatles story because it's like the greatest records of all time. And number one was Sgt. Peppers. And so I'm like, okay, I know that. I don't agree. I don't, that's not even their best record. 
It's yeah. fine. That was that was my Beatles record. That was, I had a similar yeah, I had a similar thing with Christina where my parents had like three records or something. Right. One was like Jim Croce, <laughs> one was yeah. Sergeant Pepper, and then the other was like Gordon Lightfoot or something. So obviously right. I'm gonna listen to Sergeant Pepper out of those three. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I listen I listened to that record all the time. That was my Beatles record. I'm 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 obviously it's an amazing record, but I, I was just shaking my head because I like Revolver and the White Album. Oh yeah, of course. Well, yeah. Once you once you know those records, you're like, oh, these are better. Yeah. <laughs> but no. like, if all you have is Sergeant Pepper, then that's, <laughs> no, you're just like, what? That's good. Well, also, there's even at that age, there was just always been so much hype around Sergeant Pepper. So yeah. if you if you're even like, Rolling Stone, if you're at an age where you're like, well, they know what they're talking about. Well, also, it was the funny thing is I, I was just like, you know, I've heard that record quite a bit, you know, and then it was when the, so number two was Nevermind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols. Oh, yeah. Then I was just like became obsessed with kind of music, like, you know, also I lived in I was lucky enough to live in a town with a very good record store. And so I used to just I, you know, for years, just look at record covers for, you know, that's what I did for kicks, you know, then yeah. I finally figured out what they actually sound like, you know, whoever it may be, the meat puppets or whoever, you know, you'd see something, you know, so. I used to I listen ta- to the Beatles on 45 too. I had oh, a right. stereo yeah. where you could, this if you got sick of it, because I only had that one, well, it was a gatefold record with the, with the um, George Harrison record in it too. But if I got sick of it, I could just listen to it on 45 and sometimes even 78 speeds. Hey, that's I still do that just for kicks. For, for, oh, oh, I see. You would listen to LPs on just different speeds. Well, just that I just had the Beatles record, so I'd listen. Oh, if I got oh, bored oh, I with it, I mean, there were three records in it because it was the blue gatefold one with the, and it had a George Harrison record stuck in it. But yeah, if you got sick of it at thirty-three, then you put it on forty-five. Sometimes seventy-eight, sixteen wasn't all that good though. So, so wait a minute! Did, did somebody stick a George record in this record for you? How? Why was was it a manufacturing mistake? Why did you have a George Harrison record in your Beatles? Well, I think that that record just got left behind because my parents used to rent out a room to uh-huh. like younger hippies, and <laughs> and then that record got left behind somehow, and it just had that record in it by accident. Uh, I, see. I don't know yeah. why. I don't know why I had the Crazy Horse record, but. I wasn't really into it. It's live. <laughs> well, was it oh, right. Live Rust yeah. or something like that? Live Rust. Yeah. yeah. I I love that record. That's like one of my favorites. That's great. Yeah. That's like a... But I think as a kid, Neil Young yeah, is one of those kid. things. That, yeah. yeah. But he sings so high. He sings almost like a cartoon character. I would think you'd be like... Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to delve into this. Anyway. All right. Well, this is... Oh, sorry, Steve. Uh, I mentioned I yeah. became a drummer by default. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your. Likewise. I appreciate your drumming on uh, on these records, uh, and this is what I'm most familiar with in terms of the way you play. Uh, how did you get into drumming? Oh, because I couldn't play anything else really all that well. Like I was a bad guitarist, and I joined a band. I lied and said I could play guitar into to join this band. And when I got to this band practice, they say, "What's you know what chord, what key are we playing it in?" And I was just like, I just I knew how to make noise out of the guitar. That was pretty much. Uh, my only, and then I was just then the guy that I was playing with, who's just like, oh, we'll start a band outside of this because they were serious musicians. We were into punk rock and goofing off, and, and so I just moved to playing drums. Yeah, that's it. It was just because I'm not that good at guitar or bass. Well, and, when you, know. you lie about saying you know how to play guitar, what are you thinking at this <laughs> point? That's like George Santos level delusion of like, I'll just show up and it'll I'll get away with it. How did you think you're going to get away with that? 
I don't know. I really don't know. I, to be honest, and so just, <laughs> I, I just showed up like a friend. I was really interested in punk rock, and there was a, from a very small town in Connecticut, so there was just like you know maybe three people who would probably be in. And so the one guy's like, "Yeah, I can show up." My brother had a guitar, so I just borrowed it, and then we went into this basement, and then I was found out, and I just kind of sat in the corner for a while. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like ashamed. I, I got ashamed for it because it's just like you liar. You know, I'm like, well, I could technically make some noise you know this, this, but, this uh, sounds exactly like what i read about george santos in the in the chamber yesterday just sitting by himself oh, really? no one would talk to him yeah no i'm just kidding you're not george santos you're, you're clearly better <laughs> but sometimes than when, sometimes when you're a kid you think you know how to play guitar because you can make yeah. noise on it and then you go in and you play with someone and you're like actually i don't really know how to do this yes yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens true. You know? <laughs> yeah i forgot yeah my son does this all the time i know how to do that i'm like no you, you do not prove it can't can't do it you can't do it it's amazing uh anyway no i appreciate uh, uh appreciate that I, I i i think you just wanted to be like me just wanted to be involved I, at some point exactly. you, you reach an age and you're like i i've told this story too and it's a brief beatles story and that because i got so obsessed with them that i would read and watch every documentary and read every book and every magazine right. i just became a student of the beatles at a very early age and I was reading a thing about them, and it said that uh, they were supposed to do a Scandinavian tour, but Ringo had a stomach flu, so they had to get someone else to play with him. Now, keep in mind, I thought these people were superheroes. And, and then <laughs> right. you read a little thing about how the Beatles get sick. They're human right. beings, and then that was sort of my entry point into like, oh, maybe I could do this. Uh, <laughs> and it sounds like you maybe had a bit of that impulse of like, I want to do this. I think I can. I'm going to bluff my way into saying I can for now and then figure yeah, it out. Exactly. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I okay. think I, I feel like I'm bluffing my way with lots of things in life that I, you know. <laughs> it's, you got to fake I it. I can't believe that I'm an adult in a certain way, you know, but I survived. I'm, I can't, you know, it's no, you know, fake innocence. It's, uh, yeah. You do have to, you do have to fake it till it. you make it. That's what they say. Fake it till you make it. Pretty yeah, much. fake it till you make yeah. it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm sure we all yeah. do that a little bit. Uh, Christina, can we get to uh, the point where uh, the casual dots went from, I think, a bit of a happenstance gathering to, you know, playing Lady Fest, uh, whatever else, to, yeah, I actually want to put this uh, on its feet and see what we can do together. And I are you the primary lyricist, by the way, uh, Christina? Yeah. Do you collaborate? Yeah, I write with- the lyrics. I, I ask for help sometimes, but I'm better at writing lyrics in the room with people. So I've had to, you know, ask for encouragement. In- I see. When you say in the room with people, do you literally uh, have a... While, while you're practicing. But do you literally... Are you writing like on a pad or are you just riffing into the microphone until you're like, oh, that I kind of like that turn of phrase? Yeah. I just sort of sing and then the things come out I see. and then I could fill it in to make it make sense. Okay. So where I was coming from with that convoluted attempt at a question was, can you talk a little bit about how and why you thought, no, this can be a thing. We'll do this together. And, and then within that, did you feel like you wanted to say certain things in an overarching sense with these songs? I always think it's interesting when a band um, coalesces around a cover because ideally that cover uh, might speak to its aesthetic, uh, a shared sort of feeling about what you all are interested in. Uh, and I don't know if that's true of Bumblebee necessarily, but again, I've made this even more convoluted. Let's get back to my question. Can you talk a little bit about when you thought this was going to be a going concern and what you wanted to accomplish as a songwriter with the Casual Dots? 
Bumblebee was on a mixed CD that Steve made. So we were all listening to it. It was something like, I don't know, easy to play. I think that's why another reason why we did it. As far as expressing things through lyrics and what the songs mean, they're sort of just like things from my unconscious, just or what I've been looking at and thinking about. And, uh, you know, for the first, the first record, like, was, it's not straight out political, but there's a lot of ideas in it. And it's just sort of what was going on, like the Iraq war went on and things that my dad said ended up in the lyrics here and there. And then, of course, lots of just personal issues and ways of thinking about things, perspectives. The second record was, I was just watching a lot more politics, like paying attention. And it's just sort of what events that happened in Baltimore and on the news and all over and feelings about it, but just sort of letting them come up unconsciously to a certain extent and then filling in the rest. It's sort of just what I was focusing on at the time of writing the song. You mentioned something that your father said. Were your, was your household kind of steeped in, I guess, politics or sociocultural concerns at all? Like, was that part of your upbringing? Definitely. My dad was, it was like NPR all the time, but liberal ideas and just constantly talking about politics and where my mom and dad just having conversations all the time about it and the radio always being on, my dad always coming in and if no one was else around, he would just like talk to you about politics. Right. So it was like, it wasn't what I was directly focusing on, but I just kind of absorbed it for like years. I see. Kathy, when Christina says she seeks help in a practice space or in lyric writing, uh, can you elaborate upon that? Like what kinds of questions get raised as this, this process begins? And then within that, do you have perspectives on uh, her as a songwriter? I know this can be awkward with everyone in the same space because uh, you're probably going to say things you never say to each other to your face because your band doesn't talk. We've already established that. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that process of, of lyric writing uh, in this band from your perspective? Yeah, I feel like with the first record, I didn't have, we didn't help Christina with the lyrics at all on the first record. I feel like, unless I'm misremembering, I feel like she wrote all the lyrics on that record. Mm -hmm. The second record, this latest record, I feel like some of the songs, so it was written over a period of time. You know, it's like six or seven of the songs were recorded in 2004, and then the rest were just recorded over the intervening years. And so the the songs that we recorded back in 2004, they had lyrics because we had toured on those songs, but not, I don't think they were solid lyrics. Christina's shaking her head no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, there there were words that were sung during our shows that in my mind were the lyrics. But then when we got done with the tour and we recorded the basic tracks for those songs, we didn't do the vocals for a variety of reasons. And, and then we all split and Christina went to LA and Steve went to London. And so we basically didn't finish those songs. And so when we came back to finishing those songs to turn it into the record, it was sort of like those lyrics maybe didn't fit the songs anymore. Like it did so much time had gone right. by. And so then she was, you know, listening to the songs and writing the lyrics from the period of time that we were at then. Hmm. And so I think like when she's saying that she needs to be in the room, I think that it was like we weren't all in the room at that point because we'd already written and recorded those songs. So it, I think that's probably why it was harder. I see. Or something. I see. So yeah. And and then we were all practicing those songs at my house in Brooklyn. 
And I think some of the songs, she just had like missing spaces or something. And so we were kind of like talk about what the song was about and think about different things word combinations that might fit. I see. Christina, just uh, before I get your perspective on this, Steve, um, Christina, can you pinpoint the years that Kathy was kind of navigating there in terms of when some of these songs... I haven't even got to this. The the band has an interesting trajectory from my vantage point. It seems to have started about 20 years ago. We've established that with the Ladyfest show. I put out a record. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. What year did the first record come out? Two thousand four. Four. Two thousand four. I think it was four. Four. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then, so Kathy's just saying a lot of the songs that we're hearing on uh, this new record uh, emanate from that period. However, as I check my calendar, it's now twenty twenty three, and I believe <laughs> this latest record came out twenty twenty two. Yes, in the fall. Correct. Yeah. Yep. You don't have to be a mathematician here, folks. Uh, <laughs> quite a gap there. Can you talk about, uh, first of all, what I was getting to, uh, Christina, can you talk about when uh, you started updating the 2004 songs, if you will, exactly, uh, to, to kind of put a time and place to what Kathy was just talking about? And then within that, we might as well get to the elephant in the room. Why the heck? It sounds like it's geography, but why the heck was there such a long uh, gap between activity? Can you speak to those things? Yeah. The beginning of your question is sort of about the lyrics. I used to sing things when we toured back in 2004 and 2005, but I never had anything set for those second set of songs. A lot, Actually, a couple of them, like three of them were kind of instrumentals in my mind, the ones that we recorded in the beginning. And um, so I never had anything set. So when we started putting the record together, I kind of had to start from scratch with the lyrics. And we did get together, we got together in 2011 and started playing. But that was sort of when I was in LA and I just moved back to Baltimore and Steve came, visited. So we got, we started playing and we just immediately wrote more songs. And we're like, everything that we played sounds great. We have like, you know, enough to finish this record because we wrote all these songs in this weekend. (laughs) And so... Then I just, then we got together a couple times over the years. And when we would get together, I would be able to write like a few songs. In 2016, we played some shows and I wrote a bunch of lyrics like in that time while we were playing in the practice space at Kathy's house and then playing those shows. And then we recorded them. So there was a whole set of lyrics for some of the songs, like Frequency of Fear was sort of like, I don't know what I was reading about at the time, but it was at the very beginning of Trump's vibe for candidacy. I mean, he was, he was, it was still like the Republican party was um, trying to choose their candidate. It was like in January, 2016, but this whole idea of what was going, going to happen sort of came into my mind and I started writing that. So that one was back then. And then, you know, a couple other, the songs were from back then. And then over the next few years, next three years, we just, I would go up to New York, Steve would come and we'd work on it and I would write something and we'd record. So I see. Okay. So the second part of the question. Well, the second part was, uh, I I, I landed on it's likely geography and life stuff, but I was just asking why such a gap between records and activity in the casual dots in terms of just how long it's taken uh, to get a second record out, for example? I would say geography, for one thing, because while I was in L.A., it's like, I'm in L.A., Kathy's in New York, Steve's in London, and 
everybody else had different musical things and, you know, family and stuff like that. If you put the word casual in your band name, uh, <laughs> it gives you a little, <laughs> yeah, sli- it gives it, you a little, a self- <laughs> yeah, it's going to live out in a certain way. So it's it, true. We, did, we also didn't want to flood the market. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Don't rush it. Everything. Don't rush it. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, if you're a fan of something, you have to buy all the double records that cost, you know, $30. They come out every three months. So I say two records after 20 years, I think. Yeah, that's not flooding the market. It's, uh, it's not much of a casually temp- temporarily casual, I guess, is what we're yeah. we're getting at there. Christina, is that yeah. does that about capture why uh, the band's trajectory is as it is? I think so. It. Yeah. I mean, there. It's definitely a casual aspect. There's no urgency. But it's funny you say this because I feel a lot of urgency in the music. Like I, I it really speaks to me on that level. Like it, it, I, it's like a, I like it. It's a call to arms, but there's fun. Uh, I, I invoked, uh, I think maybe before we started rolling, I invoked Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, which is a band I really love. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Christina, particularly. Canadian. Yeah. Going back to your Canadian roots. Uh, I hear a bit of them in here and, and some other things that I really love. Like, I, I just love the sound of it, if that makes any sense to you. Mm-hmm. Good. I, I'm glad we agree that it's an amazing sound. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, uh, Steve, I wanted no, to... No, I, I haven't listened to them in a long time, but I do... A long time, but I do remember... Shadowy Man and Shadowy Planet. They get unfairly pigeonholed. I mean, they. I'm looking at what's their box set called. Where is it? It's down here somewhere. It's their box set is called uh, something like "No, we're not a fucking surf band," uh, because right. they get pigeonholed with that thing. Even though they were doing some really, really in- innovative stuff. And I was just talking to Don Pyle from the band on the show about a new photo book he's got out, and he brought up the fact that in their original incarnation, the dynamic was a bass guitar drums but the bass player played lead parts uh basically like it was basically like having two basically like having two guitars it was quite inventive i think for its time and um he wasn't bragging he was just saying like it's interesting like the late reed diamond would play bass like he was playing guitar and that created this interesting tension and i think that kind of speaks to why maybe i i i see some parallels between them and your band obviously it's different instrumentation but it's that mentality of we've got two sort of melodic things going on at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's funny that he plays he plays bass like guitar. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Because I, I started out as a bass player in Hazmat and Autoclave, and I play guitar like a bass. Right. <laughs> and for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, everyone thinks that's surf sound. I never tried to go for a surf sound, but... Yeah, um, I, I hesitated what, to make this comparison because I wondered if you've gotten the same kind of pigeonholing uh, in the casual dots. Yeah, but I definitely hear that mm. um, that that spirit anyway, and and that's why I was very careful to say like Shadowy Men, not like surf rock, because I don't think of Shadowy Men right. as a surf rock band, even though they're pigeonholed as such. So that's all. That's where I was coming from. I'm trying to be careful with my right. words, despite all my bumbling. So sorry if I am too <laughs> confusing, Steve. I never got to ask you about how we've already established that you're not a great guitar player, but every once in a while you come up with something. Uh, have you contributed yes. lyrically in any way? Have you have you been called upon to give advice to Christina about where uh, a song might be heading? No, not particularly, to be honest, but only just because it's just, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, Christina's asked, I haven't, uh, yeah, I have no bearing on the lyrics necessarily. Does she seek know. advice? Do you offer counsel, something? 
I think he, yeah, but it's been so long. She, you know, when Casinos, I remember when she was writing, I think I had to leave when we were like, you know, she was writing the lyrics to these, because a lot of these songs were, I've heard as instrumentals for nearly a decade. Yeah. So I was kind of like, it was a nice surprise also to hear them with lyrics after such a long time, because I'm like, oh my, you know, it was very, is incredibly exciting. But I, I wasn't around when she was there recording her vocals. So, I see. you know. I mean, we don't get together all that, you know, it, it is just a logistic kind of, it's difficult at times to, for me to be there for more than a couple of weeks, you know, yeah. I, I was just, yeah, so. Okay. In terms of yeah. the, uh, and I apologize for focusing so much maybe on uh, the new record, but I'm a topical person. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the structure of, of the new record. Kathy, I'm going to ask for your perspective on this. It seems to me that side one and side two uh, are quite distinctive. In fact, I mean, I feel like this, the first side feels a bit more universal uh, in terms of some of the messaging. Uh, Christina, don't worry. I'm going to ask you more specifically. I just wanted Kathy's perspective on this, and she can tell me if I'm wrong. Side two, I think, actually features a bit of a suite. Um, it seems like a very personal uh, batch of songs uh, about the loss of someone specific. There's some mourning there. And I juxtapose that with what I hear on side one, which feels a little more universal and uh, in, in the sense that it's sort of about sociopolitical stuff that maybe a lot of us can relate to. And then it seems more personal on side two. Um, Kathy, do you want to shoot me down on this theory or do you feel like that's... Come- <laughs> I'm going to shoot you down. Please do. Let me know. <laughs> no, but so I can't remember which one of us did the sequencing. I think, Chris- I think Christina, you did the sequencing for the record. And my memory is that it didn't have to do with the topic matter. I think that it had more to do with how, which song would sound better after the I next see. song, you yeah. know, like how, how they would sound together. But I might be wrong about that. Probably Christina can okay. probably answer that question better than me. So you shot me down um, from a place of not really knowing. That's just, <laughs> I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't intentionally divided into okay, thematic. Okay. Fair enough. It, it, it was a know, aesthetic sound. The sound of the songs flowing together is what your thought. Yeah. Was. That, yeah. that's my okay. memory. That's Christina, can you either shoot me down or put me back in the sky? I, I need to know if I'm on the right track. <laughs> it was definitely how the sound, the songs sounded together from one song to the next and how it flows, how the record, you know, if you listen to it from beginning, because we all used to listen to vinyl. So yeah. we're used to the sort of not just choosing a song here and there and, or having it shuffle. So it was important for how the songs sounded and how they flow together but i think it did the second half seems more introspective i think the, the whole record is pretty personal yeah like gypsum gypsum mortar is pretty personal yep. um live for yourself is pretty personal but yeah the, somehow the sad songs ended up on the second half of the record again so. this is just my uh music consumer slash music critics ear probably I, when I listen to Descending Palindrome in the morning after, what it does for me, not knowing you at all, not knowing where these songs really come from, what it does for me is it feels like this is these songs in particular are all about the same subject. Um, they might not be at all, but I'm just telling you that that's how they made me feel. Like this is directed at someone uh, and it, with a sadness that some someone was lost. Are you saying that that's probably not? And I don't mean to pry. Uh, of course, but are you saying that's not necessarily the case? They're all about different things, but huh. I'm going to say something that sounds kind of weird, but each song has a different color for me. Mm. And 
descending palindrome and the morning off after all have a really similar color scheme. So in that yes. way, it's the same. But so to me, the color means feel, I guess. So they both, but you know, descending, descending. I've seen reviews where people are like, "Oh, this is about a lost relationship or something like that." No, the relationship thing is just a metaphor for a whole bunch of different stuff in life. It's not actually about a particular relationship or anything. But it just yeah. each line has like a picture from different people and different times, and it's sort of like an overall looking back. Um, For pronoun usage, in particularly in what I would, I'm, I'm not again. I don't mean to pigeonhole you guys at all, but when I come from kind of a a post punk background, like I remember we were talking about the Beatles and some other things, and I don't know. There's something about the you when a songwriter says you or I or whatever. For me, they have different connotations. Like, I never think of the... If I think of, like, a Revolution by the Beatles, where John Lennon is singing, like, if you want money for people with my... I, I don't know. I never really thought of that as, like, a specific person. Something around... Right. When I got into post-punk and playing in post-hardcore bands, I knew who I was directing some of the songs I was writing to. And when you heard... You could kind of tell, you know, where things were coming from. When you talk about the frequency of fear and now you've contextualized it as being around the dawn of Trump's ascendancy, I, I pick up on that. Like, I can pick up on what was going on in America at that time. I don't know. I, what I'm getting at, I think, is sometimes these U's are more pointed, and, and sometimes they're not. And I, I can hear those dynamics here uh, on this record, if that makes any sense, Christina. I think sometimes when the U, you speak of the U in a heated and pointed way, and sometimes it's an affectionate, longing, sentimental way, I don't have a grand point here. I just think that that's coming through a lot on this record and it gives it a very interesting emotional tension. Does that resonate with you? I'm trying to picture what you're saying. I can't. I know. I, I don't know if I, what I said it. made any sense, <laughs> but I, I, I do. Um, I, that's where I'm coming from with it. That when I say it's something feels a bit more universal uh, and something feels more personal, I think that's where I'm coming from with the pronoun usage and the way you're singing about these people, if that makes any sense. So what you're saying is some of the songs seem more personal and some of them seem more universal, but it's both, all, all the songs are still using pronouns. Is yeah, that, is yeah that the you oh, okay. is, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know why I took us down this road. It wasn't my plan, but yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying. Like that's, <laughs> all right. it's the tenor of your singing too. Like, I mean, the three songs I've outlined seem very emotional and sentimental. Like you're talking about a friend or a colleague where some of the other songs feel like yeah. a call to arms for all of us to think about things, if that makes any sense. Well, I'd say that palindrome is more, you know, it's pretty obvious. It's about Brendan, who was in Quixotic. Hmm. Um, he passed the beginning of 2010. I'm sorry to hear that. And then the morning after is is sort of like, the morning after, I don't think it makes, like if you go line by line, it doesn't make complete sense. It's not... But it was sort of, I woke up one morning, I followed this photographer that would take his bike around Baltimore and just take pictures of all different areas of Baltimore. Like he covered the Freddie Graves thing. He covered like a lot of neighborhoods that like are in the periphery or the east side of Baltimore, or the west side. Like he would just go everywhere and take photos. And one day I woke up to a video from inside his fence where they were hosing away some blood that where a shooting had happened the night before on the other side of his fence. And it just struck me as like trying to just thought about it a lot. And then the, 
those words just started coming out when I was trying to write the song just about like, I don't I didn't even know how to explain it exactly, yeah. but just how the, like your vision of what's possible is so important because if you're not given the vision to do something more than, you know, violence, or if you're conditioned by violence when you're younger or you're just immersed in violence, it's just going to have more, more violence is going to happen. And I don't know, it's sort of like being removed from it, but that only being like two miles away from me in reality and just thoughts about it kind of. So. Yeah, to invoke a to invoke a cliche and to sum up maybe where I was coming from, uh, it does seem like the personal is political. I hesitate to say this uh, without sounding trite, but I've, that's what I'm picking up on. Um, like that's a really interesting example because I took that song as a very personal experience for you. But you're saying like you're looking at your city, you're looking at your community, and you're speaking about something that impacts you in a personal sense. But it's there's a little bit of objective view of how we're functioning societally, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that seems to be a running theme in your lyric writing. And I think maybe given how you were raised, what you were exposed to in your in your household, maybe that informs how you write a little bit. That these things that are supposedly happening to other people actually have implications for how you're, you're living and how your community is functioning. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah. It's also commenting that like we see this stuff on the screen all the time even though that happened to be a couple of miles away, but we're functioning through a screen. We're seeing this violence. We're seeing this stuff happening. I don't know. It was mostly a collection yeah. of thoughts of like the incident that happened. Well, as, as I say, it's very beautifully done and, uh, and it's very affecting. So I just wanted to say that, and I'm sorry if I bungled my way through that, but uh, I think we made it through. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about a couple other things. I'm being mindful of the time here, but Live for Yourself is an interesting song for me because uh, as I see here in the lyrics uh, or in the in the liner notes, all songs by the Casual Dots except Live for Yourself based on You've Got to Live for Yourself by Bobby Moore and the Foremost, lyrics revised by Christina Bellotti. Now, first of all, I know this expression, you've got to live for yourself, you can't live for anybody else, from a James Brown song. Does, does anyone know what I'm talking about here? It sounds familiar, but, you know, it's it's one of those, yeah. So in 1960, I'm a big James Brown fan. Sorry, I'm a big fan of the music that James Brown made. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, in 1960, he released a song called... Uh, let me see. I made a note of this here. It's called I'll, I'll Go Crazy, James Brown and the Famous Flames. And it features the same right. lyrics. You've got to live for yourself, yourself and nobody else. Uh, the song that you've based uh, your song, Live for Yourself, on is by Bobby Moore and the Foremost. It's called You've Got to Live for Yourself, 1964. So I don't mean to blow your minds here, but I tell you this. I think he took the lyrics from the James Brown song. And that's fine because <laughs> it's a really powerful <laughs> song. But that's the I was like, oh, they... Here's the thing. This is a point of pride for me because I'm like, I'm going to ask them about James Brown. We're going to have a great conversation about James Brown. Then I look this up and I'm like, wait, they don't, it's not James Brown at all, according to them. What is, what's going on here? So anyway, can you talk a little bit, Christina, about where you heard this song and why you thought to interpolate it in this powerful, very, very powerful way? This bridge that um, you've rewritten in particular, really, uh, very powerful. But can you talk about why you, th- you thought to do that? Well, it was a song that we covered again from a compilation. CD that Steve made. So, um, a lot of your ideas seem to be from Steve's mixtapes. Is that a fair way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say he, he makes some really good 
mixtapes. Like, he's good at yeah. it. And he's got, he puts in songs that, like, I don't know. It, it just felt right. So we used to do it pretty much the way it was, you know, the original recording. But at a time, after a while, I was like, I don't know if I exactly like this message of this yes. song. And yeah. I don't like the repetitiveness. But other lyrics just started coming to my head. And so just wrote it about james brown i i did listen to that song a lot like a james oh. brown compilation the song that you mentioned i'll go crazy i'll go crazy yeah, yeah. but i never put that connection mm. together before <laughs> hey actually. it's another creative control miracle how about that i, <laughs> I didn't mean Me to either i'm actually you've got to live yeah i know it yeah but it's, it's funny it's yeah. a key part of that song it's not like one of his big songs uh, the the famous flames yeah. and james brown song but i have it i just love that era yeah. of James Brown. So it just immediately is what I, I thought of. Beautiful singing too here. Kathy, uh, I, I believe you're credited with backup vocals. Uh, you guys do a really wonderful job of singing together, if I might say. By the way, I'm not, this is, uh, the whole point of this conversation, Tourism Canada, butter you up, I guess is what I'm saying, <laughs> but I don't mean it. No, it's really lovely, uh, the dynamic. How do you two, I assume you work on these with Christina. Kathy, how do you guys sort of work out uh, vocals together? Um, because this is a great example of you doing kind of call and response stuff, uh, classic kind of old school pop in a, in a sense. Do you have a lot of conversations about? I know you don't talk. I, I, I think I know the answer to this question already. <laughs> but how do you come up with these things together exactly? I don't think we came up with it. I think that's how it was on the recording. I think I there's see. a isn't there a call and response on the recording, Christina? Yeah, there's a call and I response. Think there's, yeah, but the but the like notes, I think was, I think you just chose the notes and then I chose whatever note that I thought went well with the backups. Oh, the harmony. Yeah. yeah the harmony. Yeah. I think the, it's, I'm it's not a, really a singer. I don't like to sing. So it, I think it was sort of a, a little bit under duress, but um, <laughs> I will sing if I'm called on to do backup vocals, but like, I don't, I don't tend to choose that for myself, but yeah, on this song, I, I was, I, I was I, okay doing The it. backup vocals were recorded before the other vocals i think the first time then maybe you went yeah. back and put not them on. not the ones that ended up on the record though yeah but when i was singing it it was like your old the old backup vocals i think or no you had oh. had you put them on before i don't remember the original version that we recorded a long time ago steve had backups on it too i see <laughs> yeah, yeah. we we re-recorded all that yeah yeah even yeah. the whole song yeah the, the whole, whole track song. We but it was like nobody but you I remember. Yeah, it was really low, yeah, and you know, that's it, wasn't, true. it wasn't good. You know, it, it was. Uh, it didn't last. It didn't make the cut. And I, I can, uh, you know, confess up to it because it wasn't that good. You know, well, that's fair. But Kathy's. I'm focusing on this one particular song. But Kathy, you do sing in this. You say you don't really like to sing, and I believe you invoked the phrase "under duress," which is a bit harsh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, it's the yeah. same in Bikini Kill. I was I was basically forced to sing a couple songs in Bikini Kill yes. because we would always have a song that nobody could figure out how to sing on. So I just got that. They were like, "Well, you have to sing on that one." So then I would have to be like sent into the studio to come up with some lyrics and and sing it. But yeah, so <laughs> I don't remember how this one came. Up. I think it was just this is the only song I sing on, though, right? I don't sing on any of the. Oh, other there's ones nothing on this else. Record. No, I, I think so. so. Do oh. I? Yeah, no, I think it's just oh, yeah. this one. Even okay. even clocks, I I just had to do the backup. That's you. Yeah, yeah. you're you do all the vocals on yeah. that one. I see. Okay, so this is a real anomaly in in, yes, in many regards. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate this uh, insight into this record. The one thing I haven't asked you about 
is you made both of your records thus far with uh, uh, Guy and Don, uh, and I wonder what they brought to the proceedings, if you will, as uh, producers and uh, and engineers. Um, Kathy, is it weird working with Guy, uh, given your dynamic, or is it natural? And no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always recorded people in D.C., so I'm just used to the idea of him. Like, he had a studio in his basement uh, when he lived in D.C. at Pirate House, and he would record bands, you know, maybe bands that couldn't afford to go into Don's or whatever. He would just record them. Yeah. So I was, you know, that was just kind of, I'm just used to used to him pitching in to, to record, and he loves to do it. He's really good at it, so. Well, he's, yeah. this is true. he's, yeah. he's the best uh, at most things, I find, and I no, you can't be objective about that, but that's how I feel from far <laughs> no, away. No, I am objective. He is, <laughs> he is yeah. the best. He, but he's also he's also the the most important thing I feel like with recording for him is not just that he knows how to get good sounds and he he knows what we probably should sound like. He knows how to do vocals and everything, but he's also just a really positive yeah. person to be in the studio with. Like that's kind of a vulnerable time yeah. when you're in the studio doing vocals or whatever. And he's um, he's just a really like very supportive. Yeah, very very positive he recorded quixotic too oh he did okay he used to so record yeah, with quixotic. Quixotic. He recorded yeah. deep lost he's very good at, he oh. makes people feel at ease at ease pardon me but you know it is just like oh it's you know you, it's not like you're having a whim and kind of doing something that that seems you're uncertain about you feel kind of certain about your kind of uh instinctual approach to almost everything, which is a very valuable thing. Because, you know, you record with some people and they're just like, you don't know what you're doing type of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And it's just, uh, yeah. and it's just like, the, well, but I'll get maybe the, it for you, you know? Or maybe they don't really get the band. You know, yeah, that exactly. was, that's another thing where it's like, you can record with people and maybe they don't really understand what, what where the band is coming from sonically. But I feel yeah. like with Geek, he's always understood where this band in particular yeah, it's coming from like what we want to sound like. It's interesting yeah. to hear from both uh, Christina and Steve that Guy has recorded your other projects in the past. Like that's a, that's a long history there. That's interesting, uh, yeah. Steve. Uh, I make the distinction that Don was the engineer and Guy was the producer. You've talked about his support, the cheerleading, the positive aspect. As a producer, did he alter cor- the course of a song? Did he at any point, or did, was no. he no? No, not at all. I don't think, you know, I can't remember, you know, he's very just kind of in the back. It's very hard to be Zen or, you know what I mean? And in the background and actually just be kind of blank, you know, and, and Guy was perfect at that. And that's also, yeah. cause also just like, just let you do what you want to do rather than raising an eyebrow. No, he was a pleasure to record with in, in Don. It was just a natural fit, you know? Well, so. by, the, by the way, I don't think there's always a negative connotation with a producer being like, Hey, that was great. Have you thought about making the bridge of the chorus instead? Like that kind of stuff. Christina, do you yeah, have, yeah. do you have any recollection? I, I don't just mean negative, like a producer, like doing nothing or being negative. I just mean like, did he have advice that, that maybe altered the course of any particular arrangement or anything like that? And yeah. I, I want yeah. yeah. to direct I mean, this to one, Christina. Yeah. One thing that he really did was, you know, he'll tell you when it's not a good take. Like I've yes. I've recorded with someone more recently who just like, stayed out of it and let the band decide everything and that to me was like i was like no wait aren't you gonna say like this one's good and this one's bad or or at least give an opinion on it you know tell me what if you thought it was good because sometimes it's hard to have a perspective when you're when you're recording and and then yeah he would have suggestions about things like well why don't we do this or 
and and then I remember there was one where he's like, I think you should write a second thing of lyrics to it, but I just couldn't do it, and he was fine with that. So like it I goes okay. both ways. He's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Here's suggestions. It's okay if you don't do it. But then at the same time, it's just like, you know, you can rely on him to tell you like, no, this one, this version is not as good as this version. That's my opinion, and be honest about it. So I liked that. Yeah. Great. And Don... And I, sh- I should oh. I should point out that we also recorded with Eli Cruz. Yeah, I wanted to mention it, that. On this record. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah yes. At Figure Eight Studios. Yeah. Oh. That was mostly the vocals on some of the songs. Right. Oh, yeah. He he was great to record vocals with, I have to say. It, it And it was like he really got into it. He was passionate about it. And I feel like the reason why a lot of the vocals came out well was working with him. So I, I, I okay, want to so make sure. Yeah. I was thinking about that yeah. before and then I forgot to mention it. Well, this is why Kathy's on the call. Keep us all in check. Uh, <laughs> Just no, want to no. make sure that Eli gets credit. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. Because well, he did a lot of work. A lot of work on speaking that. Speaking of yeah. Zen, Don Zientara, I understand, is also a pretty Zen master kind of fellow. I've never... He's uh, extremely Zen. Yeah. He's yeah. extremely Zen. Yeah. yeah. Maybe too Zen. He's Zen. <laughs> <laughs> he has, that's a good example, maybe, of too Zen. But he, I mean, he I, had, well, I don't know. I loved it. I mean, he's so dry <laughs> He has and a ridiculous. dry sense of humor. He has a very dry <laughs> very sense dry. of humor. <laughs> Which I appreciate. That's great. Yeah. Well, listen, I just wanted to say that I uh, appreciate uh, this time we've had together to talk about this band that I didn't know. I'm being honest with you. I didn't know much about. And it's wonderful. So I'm very happy uh, uh, that you're in my lives. My life. I mean, my (laughs) lives. I'm Indian, so I have many lives, apparently. Uh, No, uh, given what we've established in terms of geographical constraints, if you will, and the casual nature of the band, Christina, are there plans to make more music together again anytime soon somehow in this weird dynamic of uh, being separated from one another? There's some casual plans. <laughs> How can I don't there know. be anything else? Yeah. yeah nothing. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> I don't know. Does someone else want to answer that? Like Kathy, what do you think? Is there something on the um, horizon? Well, I think that I think we would like to play shows. You know, after having put this record out, I think we would like to do some shows based on that. But, you know, anytime we get together and play, we write stuff. So I imagine, you know, if we get together to do shows, we would probably get together and we would probably end up writing some stuff. Yeah, it's hard not to write something when Steve starts playing drums. I can't help it. (laughs) Yeah, I get get the sense that he can be the impetus, particularly I was referencing Velvet Fields. That just starts with Steve, as I recall, playing and I, there's a lot of there's a lot of songs that start with Steve. Yeah, yeah. On the first record, almost on every single record. song starts with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think I think most of the songs started out, besides the cover songs, started out with Steve's drum beats. Though that's how I look at it. It's sort of like yeah, Steve starts playing, and me and Kathleen are like, oh, and we just start playing, and we just start building. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So if we get together, yeah. maybe we'll make some more music. You know, maybe one song for the next ten years or something. I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully we can be more optimistic than that. When's the last time, uh, Steve, when's the last time you were all in the same area or space together, if you will? Three years ago or four years oh, ago. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I came back in October. Uh, yeah. 2019. And so, and I don't think we played music together, I, you know, or did we? I can't even remember. We d- I so can't I, remember. Know, yeah. Then the pandemic happened. I haven't been, I didn't leave the UK for you know, three years or whatever. I see. Yeah. So, but the plan is to maybe in the summer to play some shows and get together. So it oh. will happen. Yeah. But it's That's loose. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think everything has to be a little loose given that we are in a, 
a pandemic still. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I assume that's a factor as well. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Kathy, you've been on and off again, busy again with Bikini Kill tr- uh, as well. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we started we we started touring back in 2019, I guess, and then we were supposed to do a kind of a longer tour starting in March of 2020. <laughs> so we were all out yeah. in Portland uh, practicing for that when the pandemic started. So we had to right. cancel that whole tour and then, but yeah, so in the last year, we've been trying to make up some of those shows that we had to cancel. But then we got sick. Some of us would get sick with COVID and then we'd have to cancel shows and then we'd oh. get back together and try to start again and then someone else would get sick. So yeah, it's been it's been kind of stop and go a little bit. So okay, I appreciate that. So beyond casual dots, this is a nice segue into any other future plans any of you might uh, want to talk about, musically or otherwise, anything you want people to know about. I'm happy to give you this space. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve, what's going on with you over in England? Anything? Oh, yeah, I play in this band called Snoozers that uh, oh. and I make kind of videos for bands and a lot of them are fictional. <laughs> so, um, yeah, fake, fake. You make videos for fake bands. Yeah, I make kind of instrumentals and then I make the band up and then, you know, oh. yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that. But, you know, that I I'm, I keep busy, but I play in a band, play in the drums in this band called Snoozers that play occasionally, but not that often. It's, you know. That's very nice. Yeah. Is snoo- is Snoozers a real band that I don't it's know. It's a real band, trust. real people. We play shows, you know. Okay. We <laughs> They played with Bikini Kill when we Yeah, we, we were played with Bikini Kill in Germany. Yeah. And it was oh, fun. Cool. Yeah. And we just played recently and it's a very fun band to be in because it doesn't require all that much. Uh you know, we practice in a bedroom and <laughs> I only play two drums. It's kind of quiet, you know, and I like oh, that. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, recordings at this point or just playing? Yeah, there's a single and we've made lots of recordings, but, uh, you know, there's nothing. And there's a label that's putting them out in Austria called Fetkako. I don't know. I I say it wrong. I was listening to it on Bandcamp the other night. Oh, right. The Snoozers. Yeah. 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 It's really good. Yeah. It's fun. And so I'm kind of, I say I'm busy with that, but that's the only kind of, you know, uh, thing that I'm doing recently. But you're That's a visual cool. artist too. Yeah, I make my money or some money from that. Not much, but you know, it's yeah. So I'm busy well, with. I keep myself busy with little projects. What's right. the nature of your visual art exactly? Is it uh, like how would you describe it? I suppose it's sort of like illustration. Yeah, but you know, I just kind of I draw a lot, and they're kind of you know cartoons. Some people use them for something, and kind of, and I've sold piece. You know, I. It's very varied. I'm kind of, uh, but uh, I keep myself. Yeah, no, I brought that up because we've Bikini Kill has used Steve's art in posters and a T-shirt. Like our best-selling T-shirt is this dog. Yeah, dog giving a middle finger. It's my uh, dog. A dog giving yeah. a middle finger in the casual yeah. dial, casual dots T-shirts too. The it's, casual yeah, dots my, T-shirts. My yeah, exactly. dog suddenly developed an opposable thumb. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it's not a rampage against the humans, yeah. you know. I, I appreciate your humility and modesty, Steve, and I also appreciate Kathy being like, "Come on, man, you do a lot of cool <laughs> stuff. Let's talk about it real yeah, quick." Yeah, his art's amazing. Okay, cool. Thanks, but you know, I kind of, I get kind of, you know, I it, it's yeah, it's something that I do every once in a while. But I, I'm trying to build up some more things. That's why I say I've made it. I made uh, a video recently, and it's very, it's very fun just to make goofy videos on your phone. Well, uh, I, I will link. I can link to some things in the uh, as I, I distribute this episode. Uh, Steve, if people want to learn more about the snoozers or your work, uh, is there anywhere they can go on the on their telephones, on their computers? 
Yeah, snoozers is on Bandcamp, and you know I've Instagram, I suppose, but you know I'll send you some links to it. Please uh, do. Yeah, I'll yeah, do yeah, it. I will do. Yeah, we'll do the we'll do the capitalist bullshit stuff. No, but it's good. It's good. You should get some. I, I, it's intriguing to hear about all these things you do. That's great. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. uh, Christina, similar questions. Uh, anything on the horizon beyond the casual dots? And uh, can we do some self-promotion for you? Any links that you can share? I'm working on a project called While, W-H-I-L-E, with my friend Irene O'Leary. We're still working on it, but it should be out in the spring, probably on Ix or Sticks. <laughs> Oh, cool. So more music on, on, the, on the horizon. That's great. Yeah. We're making an EP. Sweet. And where are you doing that? Right here. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. You've got a little space there. That's great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Cool. And did you say where we can learn more about it? I can't remember. You mentioned the label. It'll be on Bandcamp, Ixer Sticks. I think we might be pressing some physical copies, some vinyl. Oh, cool. But probably awesome. that's Christina's label. Yeah, X or Six is my label. But actually, the Casual Dots Kathy's here. Are Kathy's on. here helping us <laughs> hype everyone. I'm just filling in the blank. <laughs> <laughs> that's your own label. Okay, great. Yeah. Any any other uh, uh, artists on the label that we might uh, know or should well, be should be more aware of? It was kind of a label a long time ago that Quixotic was on, and Chromtech, which is Mick Barr's old band, was on the label, and then. Putting out the casual dots, we just re- resurrected the label. Yes, I see that now. I was like, this yeah. sounds familiar, Ixer Sticks. And I'm looking <laughs> at the, for those listening, I'm looking at the back of uh, the latest casual dots record. And yeah, I see it there. So that's your label. I see. Okay. Yeah. So but there's some, is there some connection to Discord is helping distribute it or something? Is that right? Or Yeah, they're distributing the vinyl, the physical okay. copies. Yeah. So people can also does your does your label have a website? I don't even know if people use these anymore. Just but. we're on, <laughs> for right now. We're just on Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Okay. So yeah, but people but the, could potentially learn more about it at Discord.com if they're digging onto the site. Is that right? Yeah, I think they do a little bit of promotion for what they sell, <laughs> what they distribute, but right. not as much as if you're on the label. But right. Yeah. So the most direct way is your Bandcamp to 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 grab this record. I, I'm gathering. For right now, yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. Sorry, convoluted as always. I'm sorry about that. Kathy, uh, you will make everything clear. You're, that's your job today. You've been done a great job. <laughs> What's coming up next for you and Bikini Kill or anything else? Um, so Bikini Kill is going to tour in Australia and New Zealand starting in February, the end of February into March. And then I'll be home for about a week. And then we start on dates in the United States. We're trying to do all the shows that... We had to cancel when we got sick oh. last summer. I, yes, I was mm, approached to interview Kathleen uh, around the 2019 tour, and then it all fell apart, and I have not been able to connect with her since. Are there Canadian dates on this mm, run of Yes, dates? yes. Okay. There's two in Montreal and either one or two in Toronto, but okay. that's it. Not Edmonton, Alberta, for some strange reason. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well. We actually we actually played the very first time in Canada it, in September. We played in Victoria. We'd never played there before. Oh, anywhere weird. in Canada. Yeah. It se- seems like it would have been more fitting for you to play Vancouver, just to add to the nominal confusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we decided to play Va- Victoria. Victoria. It was a festival. Oh, very nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, listen. Uh, I appreciate all of this. I appreciate you. Thank you for spending seemingly extra time with me than we had planned to, but I really appreciate this. I want to go out on a song from uh, the new record, and I want to ask uh, you to pick it. However, we have three people here, so here's what's going to happen. 
And I'm going to ask one of you to pick the song. The other two have veto power. If they don't like the choice, we have a debate, and then there's a parliamentary review. <laughs> uh, it goes through a whole process. So uh, I'm going to go to... I feel like, uh, Steve, I want your perspective on this. I'm going to go to you. You look confused. Uh, so I don't know if you're... I wasn't is... expecting that. You know, I, you should pick somebody else. <laughs> no, no, no. Fair enough. Wait, what are you doing? I'm, we're going we're gonna to get uh, one of you to pick a song from Sagwin Truth to, for us to play for the people right now, is what I'm saying. And I'm going to ask one of you to pick it. And so uh, Steve has declined, which is unusual. Right away, off the bat, I veto even being asked to choose... Christina, can you pick a song for us to go out on from the new record and tell us why you chose it? Uh, can Kathy do it? <laughs> or, okay. So, <laughs> double veto. Never happened before. I would no. say, I'm just going to give you a couple choices, Christina, and you can choose. Okay, that's Either good. Descending yeah. or, or High Speed Chase, I think. I mean, my favorite song on the record is Palindrome, but I don't know if that's the one we want to go out on necessarily. Yeah, it's a bit but, of a bummer. Um, but Yeah. Was- I mean, I, okay. I love it. I, Des- to I like it descending. Lot, yeah, I like- descending, yeah, descending is what I was going to say. Me too, but, actually. Know. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we went from two vetoes to complete consensus. This is really unprecedented. Yeah. I've never <laughs> seen it work. Works. All right. This is a, a lovely song called Descending by the Casual Dots. Uh, Christina, Kathy, uh, Steve, thank you so much for this time with me. I hope you enjoyed yourselves somehow despite my bumbling and mumbling, and I hope we'll speak no, again. No, it's nice that somebody no, else is so bumbling and mumbling. <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak again soon. Best of luck uh, with everything in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye. This is great. Thank you.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I, I, I don't know if this sounds delusional, but uh, that one, I kind of feel like I made some new friends. I don't often feel that way. I didn't know who these people were, really. Never talked to them. And then we got along, I think, pretty well. Oh, lots of friendly emails back and forth, I think. It's it's nice. Anyway, again, you be the judge. Maybe I didn't make new friends. It feels like I did. Thanks again to Christina, Kathy, and Steve of the Casual Dots, a.k.a. my new friends, for appearing on this, the 745th episode of Creative Control. I think I have the math right on that which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly uh, newsletter, which I'm behind on, I realize, as I'm saying this out loud, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on uh, various social media platforms. Um, The ones that I know for sure we have are Facebook, Twitter still, somehow, Vish Creative on Twitter. You can also follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation. Six American dollars or more grants you access to exclusive content and you get the episodes earlier than everyone else. And uh, if you uh, donate on that t- at that tier and are interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon. And I will get you on while supplies last. Again, that's the primary source of revenue for all the work that I put into this show. And I was just texting with a fellow musician friend today about how we both wish the music we make or the things like this that I make, uh, that's all we like doing. And, you know, you can't make a living somehow. Anyway, boo-hoo, right? I'm just telling you, that's uh, a general feeling among the creative people you like and support. Man! If only I could just do this. Anyway, sorry, I didn't. This is a weird tangent. Patreon.com slash creative control if you want to support the show. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music with locations in Edmonton and Calgary. You can learn more about uh, Blackbird and order records from them directly at blackbird.ca. Also, want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their long time and in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of of his on this program. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And uh, last but not least, of course, thank you for listening to this episode with the Casual Dots. I hope you also feel like you made some new friends with this band. They're lovely people, love their music. Check out their records if you haven't heard them. Do that stuff. And, and also, please, subscribe to this podcast, follow it, tell your friends about it. 
spread the word about creative control. All that means a lot and does help a lot. So thank you. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.